Hey there, my name is Erin Deal, and I'm a half-Southern, half-Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world, and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Welcome to Failed It, the podcast that reminds you, you have to fail in order to improve. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of Improve It and your host. And today, I am so excited to have our guest, David Gardner. Now, let me give you his highlight reel before we get into his failure resume. So David Gardner is a former professional basketball player turned entrepreneur who started his company, Color Jar, from his bedroom in 2008. He's one of Chicago's top-rated branding, consulting, and design firms, Color Jar, and they create champion brands specializing in igniting brand potential at key moments of change to drive business results. So David began his branding career in 2003 when he co-founded positive news website BuzzFlood while balancing student-athlete life as an all-Ivy League basketball player and team MVP at Dartmouth. So he's also the host of a popular podcast, The Big Jump, where he interviews professional athletes who have created success beyond sports. It is an awesome podcast. Check it out. So David is regularly featured in the media, and he speaks across the U.S. and internationally on the topics of branding and reinvention. David Gardner, welcome to Failed It. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. I'm so excited. I am too. I love the topic of your podcast. And I think it's really important to counteract the social media highlight reel. So you're doing important work here and really excited to be talking to you today. Thank you so much. And I, David, you and I go back, my man. I appreciate that. Um, You and I met probably 10 years ago. And and I really thought back. It's literally been 10 years. Wow. um, Right? And you're a guest of our mutual friend, Chic. That's um, right. And you came to an ugly sweater Christmas party at my apartment in Chicago. And the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> and uh, we bonded over mold wine and we lived our best 20-something lives. <laughs> and then I learned, I, I mean, literally we met just from friends and then we just kept connecting and I learned all about Color Jar and the amazing work you've done with your clients your award from the White House, which I want to get into, the Impact 100 Award. And then you are also such a big impact on Improve It in the very beginning. I remember asking you to 
to pick your brain um, when it came to starting a business. So I want to start there really quick. What What is your response um, when someone says they want to pick your brain? How do you feel about the picking of the brain? <laughs> well, I think it's flattering to be asked to have one's brain picked. <laughs> um, yes. So, I mean, it's, um, yeah. Uh, it's a humbling thing to think that someone would like really want to, you know, learn from um, my experience um, and from what I've seen. I do think that when it comes to um, picking of a brain in a business context, um, I set at a little bit of an advantage because I worked with so many clients at Color Jar over uh, the last, I guess, twelve years now, and so. I have a lot of repetitions at seeing what works and what doesn't as it relates to uh, companies and their brands. Um, and so I think there's some pattern recognition of all the at-bats of seeing what's worked and what hasn't worked for um, you know, over 100 different clients, uh, ranging in size from you know, fortune level down to you know, startups that are just getting going. Like you know, I had the opportunity to do with you, and it's been so cool to see what you've built since then. Thank you. And I i mean, you and I were kind of chatting about this before we hit record, but I mean, it's been great to see Color Jar evolve too. I probably, what, five, six years ago, I was working with the Chicago Tribune, a subspin of that called the Chicago Red Eye, and or the Red Eye Chicago, I should say. And I came to Color Jar and we were doing some videos on behind the scenes at companies in Chicago. And I remember sitting in your office in River North, talking to you, talking to your team. There was a unicorn on the wall. <laughs> Good memory. Good memory. Yeah. Is, is this unicorn still there? You know, the unicorn has uh, since passed on, but oh. we have fond memories of the unicorn. Yes. Well, okay. And I know this, but tell our, tell our audience, what inspired the name Color Jar? Well, I think part of our job at, at Color Jar is to bring out the best in brands. And so the way that we look at it is um, is really an exercise of maximizing potential. So we're not trying to make people be something they're not. Um, and we're really trying to make them more of what they are and how they can frame that in a way that's distinct in the world. And so uh, for us, that's about, um, you know, coloring outside the lines, but also doing it in a way that's strategic and sort of uh, so the, the color part is the, you know, creative expression and the jar is the container because creativity without strategy doesn't get you very far. And so we're doing all this work, all this branding and design work, not to be um, artists, but to really drive business results. Uh, and there's certainly artistry in it and there's design and creativity and visuals, um, but there's a whole lot of strategy. And so, yeah, the, um, the color is the creative and the jar is kind of the strategic wrapper that channels the creativity and holds it all together. I love that so much. So first of all, that rings so true to everything because when I first came to you about starting and prove it, I was like Dave, and I called you Dave back then. We are David now, but I was like, Dave. oh yeah, we're, we're really we're really adult professionals now. You know, we're adults now. Yeah, but I was like, that's right, David. I said, you know, I have this idea for improve it. I had all these creative ideas. We were going to do business. We were going to do parties. We were going to do birthday parties. And you, were, I will never forget you distinctively saying. 
Aaron, you've got to hone it in. You've got to pick one avenue. You've got to have strategy within that. And I think that creativity without strategy is a really hard, I think there's a lot of creative people out there. And I think that um, a lot of people have ideas, but you don't, without the strategy to actually execute them, you can't go anywhere. So I think that Color Jar is a beautiful name that represents that. I want to thank you for putting me in the right direction, my friend, because here we are now. <laughs> well, you got a, a slight compass tune-up years ago, and you've since done all the hard work of actually going on the journey, but it was my my pleasure at the beginning. <laughs> I was like, David, we're going to go. Can you please meet me? I'll buy you like six beers. Can we just talk about <laughs> how to make this thing work? Um, oh, man. So now you're a dad, a new dad. A new dad. A new dad, and you have an amazingly sweet and gorgeous wife, Laura. Um, and Laura, we've actually worked with at Improve It because she is a dear friend of one of my dear friends, Ashley Wood. Um, and I just love seeing the pictures of you and your family on social media and just see the joy. So I want to ask you, what's the best thing? And then we're going to get to fail on it, but I want to know what's the best thing about being a dad? What's your favorite thing? Well, doing it with my wife, getting to be a, a dad with my you know wife now as a mom um, is is really a special new chapter for both of us. Um, and you know I can't imagine doing it with anyone other than Laura. Um, and I think just these little moments are my favorite part of it. So even you know going into it, um, I realized how important my own story was going to be um, and, and, and how I thought about it. And so one thing that Laura and I decided before going into it was that we will allow uh, our answer of how's it going to anyone to be retired or we're so tired. And we were just going to strip that out from our, our own narrative. And I think with that not in place, it's allowed me to really soak in a lot of these moments in the middle of the night, you know, the 3am bottle and things like that, just to not be thinking about not getting sleep, but instead to be thinking about how magical it is that there's this new human being living <laughs> under our roof and, um, you know, just their fingers and toes and eyes and just connecting with her in the middle of the night. I think all those uh, little moments are, are what's most rewarding and most special to me, uh, little baby L. This is my first interview um, since L's been alive. So <gasps> shout out to L. Hopefully uh, this one day. Oh, I love that. Okay, well, let's run with that for a minute, all right? So let's sure. fast forward 10 years, okay? And Elle's listening to this podcast. But let's say she comes home from school in 10 years, okay? And she's totally failed at something. She stuck it up real hard. What would you tell 10-year-old Elle? Well, man, you're testing my parenting uh, acumen, yes. you know, before it's become due. I'm a bit of a procrastinator, so I'll have to, you know, <laughs> I'll have to work ahead on this one. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I think I've come to see failure as truly as a learning opportunity and not a, uh, a marker of something negative. We almost need more words for failure. It gets labeled for things big and small. Um, you know, like some people in Alaska have, you know, dozens of words for what we call snow. And it's like failures like that a little bit, right? Where we call things big and small, uh, both failures. 
you know, this morning I took her for a walk and from home, she's crying. Sure enough, as a diaper, well, I forgot to, you know, put diapers in the diaper kit. I brought the diaper kit. I just yep. didn't put any diapers in it. Um, right. And so that's a, a failure. Uh, but so is, you know, a company not working out or going, you know, bankrupt or things like this. And so, um, you know, I think back to your question, um, you know, I, I tell her like, congratulations, you learned something today. Uh, what'd you learn from that failure? Because there, everything really is a, a learning opportunity. And I think it, um, it, it's, it's forward movement, uh, not backward movement. Yes, I love that. L, I hope you're listening to this in 2030. Um, and you're getting you're getting those notes from dad. Hey, failed it fam. Do you have what the kids call Zoom fatigue? Are you sick of logging on Zoom and hearing things like, can you see my screen? Oh, you're muted. You're muted. And oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I'm late. Are you working from home in your bedroom slippers and business mullet like me, which I'm talking about wearing a business top and yoga pants on the bottom, feeling like it's Groundhog's Day every single day? Do you need some laughter, levity, and fun in your workday to change things up while remote? How about a laugh break? That's right. It's called Laugh Break, and it's Improve It's newest virtual offering. Laugh Breaks bring seasoned Chicago and Charlotte-based improvisers into your virtual conference call for a little taste of short-form improvisation. In each session, improvisers engage on live, on-the-spot games based on your team's laughter and suggestions. Now, whether your team needs a quick 15 minutes of laughter or a more substantial 30-minute break, Improve It has got your back. You can go to www.learntoimproveit.com backslash laugh break, or just click on the link in our show notes to book yours on demand today. Again, that's learntoimproveit.com backslash laugh break. Get ready to sit back, relax, and grab some giggles because we could all use a little laugh break right now. See you on the Zoom. I want to take this, you know, I like what you said. There there does need to be more words for failure. I think the reason this podcast exists, and I say this in the show description, but I think we have gotten caught up in a culture up until maybe 2020 where we see the success of people and we just look at it as success. And what I think things like Instagram or social media in general do or highlight those successes and what's really coming to the forefront, especially this year when we're being challenged to create content from our homes, um, is that we are really showing up real and authentic and showcasing what it does or what actually success looks like through the lens of I've tried, even though I may not have gotten where I want to be, I've done these things, I might have failed. And I have come to this place of, you know, A, I'm okay with where I'm at. But I've also learned so many things that are going to propel me forward. So when I look at David Gardner, who I've known for a really long time, I've seen this transformation. I mean, you were already doing great things when we met, but this awesome transformation. I mean, you made the logo for Navy Pier in Chicago. Like you have done some really transformational work with companies and branding and even with your podcast. 
So when I look at you, I see success, but I know, and I know you and I have chatted that there's some failures along the way that have really gotten you to where you are. So could you share with our Failed It family two of the most important failures that you had on your journey? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And, and even uh, I'm happy to tell this, the story of of two of them in particular, but I think, well, first, it's, it's kind of you to, to highlight some of the successes. Um, and you're absolutely right that that would be a, a selection, a curation, a highlight reel of, of who I am and where I've been, uh, which is not accurate. It doesn't prevent or it doesn't present the, the full picture. Um, and, and there's been a lot of failure along the way. I mean, I think I first learned about failure through sports, which is a really great learning ground. Um, and, and the first lesson about failure that I remember, um, so it was like summertime in a super hot and sweaty, humid Minnesota gym, like, you know, nothing fancy, think like the movie Hoosiers. And um, there's this legendary high school basketball coach that I was fortunate enough to play for. And um, I was in like sixth grade and he was teaching us how to do a crossover dribble. So, you know, let's say you're dribbling with your right hand and you need to, you know, shift your dribble over to your left hand. Um, and he said, if you're not losing the ball every once in a while, you're not pushing yourself. You're not mm. getting any better if you can easily go from your right hand to your left hand. Um, because it's not just about changing hands. It's about changing speed and changing direction as you dribble from your right hand to left hand. And if you're going to be good at that, you got to push yourself beyond what you're capable of today. And you're going to lose the ball every once in a while. Mm. And I think that's a great metaphor uh, for life. Like if you're not losing the ball every once in a while in life, um, you're probably not finding out where your limits are and, you know, and, and you're not stretching yourself and you're not becoming better. Um, so that has always stuck with me um, about the need to, to push myself and to find my limits and to sometimes see myself lose the ball. Uh, and knowing that it's okay, you can go pick it up and start dribbling again um, in, in the metaphor of life, right? Yeah. Um, but sports, I mean, you mentioned in, in, in the intro, you know, I ended up playing professional basketball um, in Europe. But um, even what that probably sounds like on the surface to some people um, is, is probably really different. Like I was not the, you know, the all-star player uh, prodigy as a kid. Um, you know, I, I often struggled to make even the A team in my own school districts. Like in eighth grade, I was on the B team. And I remember getting that call and um, being so disappointed, so disappointed, crying in my, in, in, in my parents' bedroom where I happened to pick up the phone. And, um, you know, just really being heartbroken about not being deemed good enough to be on the A team. And, you know, it turned out it was the best thing for me. You know, there's, there's one case to be made where you want to be playing with the best players all the time. And that's one way to get better. Other way to get better is to be the, one of the better players on a team and get a lot of playing time. And so what I needed as an eighth grader was to get a lot of playing time um, in real game situations. And the next year, on ninth grade, I did make the A team. But then it was a battle to even make my varsity team. I didn't play varsity basketball until I was a senior in high school, which is crazy to think, you know, that means as a junior, I didn't make the team. You know, I played on the JV team. And five, six years later, I was playing professional basketball. 
right? Yeah. So a lot can happen in at, when you're in the moment or when I was in the moment, you know, those years felt like long years. Some of the days felt like long days. The practices felt like long practices. But when you get some perspective, it's amazing to see what can happen in, in, in four or five years. Um, and then playing on the, um, you know, I had a, a wonderful experience playing um, in college, but we had some losing seasons and that was really hard going through that type of, of failure my high school that I eventually was able to play for, Hopkins High School, is a nationally rated program, really a basketball factory, big public school, churns out tons of D1 prospects. And so it was really like, you know, think like Duke basketball of high school, right? Where you just learn to be a winner. You're groomed to expect to win. Um, And then in college, you know, we had a year where I think we won like three games. Uh, We were miserable, um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, it, sports was a great, um, learning ground for me. And, um, you know, I'll kind of wrap up on that with a, a, a funny, a funny story. So I was playing professionally in Germany and we were on the road, um, playing one of the better teams in the league. We were a middle of the pack team and, uh, we get to halftime, we're losing by 20, just getting smoked. And uh, I was a rookie and I was a starter on the team. And we get in there and I had this coach, this Eastern European known for being just a hard ass. And um, he gets in there, he's fuming mad. Like imagine a tiger, like, you know, going back and forth in its cage. And he stops and he looks at me and he says to me, this is at halftime of a pro game. He says, you're fired. And he points his finger at me and he says, I'm getting a new American. <laughs> Stop! Stop! (laughs) And I was like, wait, I was like, is that a thing? Can that actually, can you really do that? Like, can you get fired at halftime? And uh, I'm like, oh man. So I'm like sitting there on the bench for the, for the second half of the game, watching the game go by. I'm like, I just got fired at halftime. And I'm kind of running through my head like, okay, my agent said this other team was interested and maybe they still need somebody. I would flash to like sitting behind a desk somewhere, like working, no. a, like working a job. Um, and so, um, you know, I think you sometimes failure comes out of the blue, like really, really suddenly. And I was able to stay on the team. Um, I didn't know how to handle that situation, right? There's no playbook for getting fired at halftime. Right. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to uh, act like nothing happened and show up the next day for practice. That was my strategy. And what happened <laughs> when you showed up? Well, the the general manager for the team walked in and I oh boy, this is not good. That guy's not usually at practice. And sure enough, he walks right over to me no. and he pulls me aside and he, he, you know, he asked me what happened and how embarrassing this was for the organization. And, um, you know, I gave him my take on it. And he said, well, look, we talked about it. I know um, the coach yesterday said you're fired. However, uh, we're going to give you one more chance on Saturday. If you play well and our team wins, you can keep your job. Oh, my God. Okay. And so that I was like, wait, welcome to pro basketball in Europe. This is the Wild West over there. And thankfully, um, was able to deliver that Saturday and, and, you know, stuck out the rest of the season with the team. But um you know, even when you get to something that looks like, quote, a success from the outside looking in, like certainly part of my life's highlight reel, not all it cracked up to be, you know, things often look one way uh, on the outside. And don't get me wrong, huge privilege to have been able to, you know, work myself into a position where I was getting paid to play a sport. However, 
it was not all of what I expected from the outside looking in. Sure. And I love so many things that you just said. And I I mean, what pressure to have to p- fulfill a, pl- a great game and also win that game on Saturday. So I'm glad it happened. Congratulations. That And now the rest is history. But I mean, that's a lot of pressure, especially like you're younger, right? How old were you at that time? I guess I was 22. Yeah, pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For a 22-year-old, that's like devastating because basically you, those, I love those, those little flash forwards in your mind, a desk, no, <laughs> right, no. Right. Um, so that's, I was the same way at 22. So that's so funny. But what I want to really touch on that you said was this metaphor of lose the ball. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think... Our audience is, you know, we range from people who are starting out in their careers to people who are senior level in their careers. But a lot of our listeners are feeling the pain of 2020. Um, And I think there has been, you know, if every single person listening to this show um, I think they have their own lose the ball in 2020 story. And it's they've not necessarily tried to lose the ball the ball has been lost (laughs) 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 and uh it's been a really challenging year and i think if we can just make sure that we're keeping that in mind that concept of losing the ball because i think even for myself you know i have an in-person business the ball was was dropped and then it went behind the bleachers Mm -hmm. when uh the world stopped and Truly, that pivot was detrimental to me at the time. And now coming out of it, we've really gotten creative with what we can provide to the world. And so it's kind of in a, I do not wish coronavirus. I do not wish it on the world. I wish it never happened. But through a silver lining, that ball was, that ball was lost. And now I've picked it back up and, you know, we're doing a different type of dribble. And so I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And, that's the the whole point of this podcast is the failures are so important. I mean, look at that story from when you were 22. I'm not going to say how old you are now because we're we're elder millennials over here. I am at least. Um, but that's that's some years ago. And that story is still fresh in your mind. And it's one of the top things that you think about when you think about some of the things you've struggled with. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's so important for people to hear. And I'm going to take that with me, too. Yeah, totally. And, you know, just to touch on what you said about 2020 and, and some of the challenges that it's bringing, no one's immune to it. And and certainly it has um, uh, struck some businesses and, and families and people uh, harder than others. And partly, you know, by, you know, by design, by industry. Um, but, you know, I think the big thing that I've worked on is, you know, Really, what we're talking about now is is how do we, as a you know, how does everyone deal with change, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes change is self initiated, right? And sometimes change you're reacting to it. Um, and in either scenario, I've learned it's hard, right? It's hard to be on a certain trajectory in life and make a change. Um, and then it's also hard when, you know, change comes your way and gets thrown at you and you, you're forced to adapt. Um, sometimes it feels better to do change on your own terms. Um, you know, I think one of the things where people get stuck, where I felt myself get stuck is when change happens to you, if, if you allow yourself to be a victim to change. 
Um, And it's easy to slip into that. It's easy to feel like a victim when something's happening to you. And so one thing that I've done to as, as best as I can is to try to shift out of that by asking myself, what's the gift in this? Mm. Right. So, um, you know, our, I think as a consulting firm, you know, we weren't affected by this in the way that say a purely like in-person based business like yours or, uh, some of our clients who are big hospitality brands are affected. Right. Mm. Um, but we were certainly affected as well. I, I think, it'd be hard to find a a business in America that wasn't affected by this in some way. And so we certainly lost some clients um, that were in, especially in in hospitality and, uh, you know, destination businesses. You mentioned Navy Pier. Well, Navy Pier is closed for the year. um, Right. And so that, that has an impact on us as well. Um, And so I think for everyone, it's just asking like, well, what's the gift in this? And for me, like the pandemic hit, Uh, It was really peaking right around the time when my daughter was born. And so Mm. it's like, well, great. Like, I don't have to be in in an office every day. Like the gift in it was I get to be home and I get to enjoy those little moments between meetings, um, between, you know, Zoom fatigue. I'll go get recharged by, you know, picking up my daughter. Um, And that wouldn't have been happening otherwise. Um, And then there have been other things, you know, of our business that we've found different ways of doing things and new opportunities. And so I think with any challenge, um, with the right perspective uh, and and the right amount of resiliency and grit, um, it can be, you know, those opportunities can be found. And, you know, just like with, you know, dribbling and losing the basketball, like most things are recoverable as well right? You can go retrieve the ball. You can start dribbling again. I think really the only time when, you know, it's kind of game over is when you run out of options. Mm. Any day your business is in business, um, you know, you have the opportunity for it to improve and become better. Oh, I love it. I love we're taking this on a sports metaphor, a basketball dribble. This is the best. This is what I love. So thank you. And all the things you just said are so relevant because you're absolutely right. I don't think there is a business in America that was not impacted in some way, shape or form. So I want to touch on one thing you said in particular, um, that you look at these failures as gifts because In improv, one of the biggest lessons is there are no mistakes, only gifts. And so that what that means on stage, taking into another metaphor, we're in a metaphor within a metaphor right now. Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. Okay. So on stage and improv, if we make a mistake, that mistake is not actually a mistake. It's a gift. So we incorporate that mistake into the scene. Um, And so I love that you've been able to, to shift this mindset of failure into gifts and it leads me to my next question. So at Improve It, knowing that there are no mistakes, only gifts, we have a chicken. You may know this, David, a chicken hat that we use in our workshops. Now online, we do the chicken dance. Okay. So the chicken is a mascot, if you will, at Improve It. And so we have a chicken champion in everything we do. And it's really all about becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's the the purpose Mm. behind the chicken hat. So through your awesome career that you have had both in basketball and entrepreneurship, what would you say is your chicken champion moment or the most important lesson that you learned by becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable? Mm. Wow. Um, Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think I've been working hard to 
reframe being uncomfortable and simply taking it as a sign of growth. So, you know, telling myself if I'm uncomfortable, it's because I'm growing yeah. uh, and that it's simply it's uncomfortable because that could be an area where I'm, I'm currently a bit weaker. And so in that way, it's just like building a new muscle. And presumably, the more I exercise that new muscle, whatever it is that's making me uncomfortable, um, the better I'll get at it and the more that I'm growing. Um, and I really believe, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And a big part of my life is about um, figuring out ways to grow. And growing doesn't mean necessarily becoming bigger. It just it can also mean becoming better or trying new things. Like those are all forms of growth. Um, and I just find that I'm a lot happier when I'm pursuing something new and trying to get better. Um, I mean, I I think I think part of your question is like a time when I was the most uncomfortable. Um, and so that was probably um, so after I played. Uh, pro basketball in Germany, uh, I did a web startup and I moved to India to do it. Um, wow. A college classmate of mine um, and I had an idea, which was to try to start the Facebook of India. We thought, wow. hey, Facebook's taking off in the US. Uh, there's a billion, <laughs> uh, there's a billion uh, potential users over in India. Let's go over there. Let's get our boots on the ground and let's go try to make this thing happen. And so we had a we were able to build a, a prototype of the social networking website. We worked so hard on it all summer. We got it ready, bought our plane tickets over to India. I've never been before. And we get there and, um, you know, we flip the light switch on of the website and we're just right. We're ready for everyone to come pouring in, you know, the visitor mm -hmm. count to start, mm -hmm. you know, ringing mm -hmm. up. And of course, nothing happens, right? <laughs> like the website goes live and it's just, yeah, yeah. it's crickets, right? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're a, a drop in the ocean of the internet. Nobody yeah. cares about you. And so nothing happens. And we're like, oh man, nothing happened. Uh, we also really don't have any money for marketing. How are we going to go find our users? And so we were targeting college students. So we said, we better go to some colleges. Uh, and so we would show up at universities and, you know, it's, it's, again, I, I think all my stories have to do with places that are hot and humid versus, uh, <laughs> but it's hot, it's humid. I'm You're sweaty sweating. again. Yeah. Because yep. I took three steps. I'm sweating. And, um, <laughs> you know, it just basically asking like, hey, where, where are the dorm rooms on campus? And um, they call them hostels. And so we figure out where the hostel rooms are. And what I had to do, and I was so, so, so uncomfortable. I can't, I can't tell you. I think my, actually my palms are sweating now, <laughs> like, like 15 years later, this was so uncomfortable for me to do, but I had to take my, oh, well, I guess people are, can only hear my voice right now. And maybe you inferred that a basketball player is tall, but I'm a six <laughs> foot nine white guy in India about to go start knocking on people's doors. And so, you know, I knock on the door and I was so uncomfortable knocking on someone's door. I felt so like I was just intruding on them. And what were they going to think of me? And I just had this whole tape running in my head, um, but was able to effectively white knuckle it, muscle through uh, and just force myself. I, I had to do this. We had no other way to get users other than go like become a door-to-door -door salesman and knock uh. on doors. And so I'd knock on the door and say, hey, check out my website. And it turned out that what we were doing um, was pretty smart because it allowed us to really take a user-centered design approach 
not because we were running fancy, you know, focus groups or usability studies, but because when we knock on the door, I would literally sit there and watch them uh, sign up for the website because I was hell bent on getting them as a user. I didn't just trust them. Oh yeah, I'll sign up for us. Like, okay, cool. Let's do it right now. Yeah. And I'd watch them. I'd see where they'd struggle. And we learned a lot about not just our website, but about our users um, that way. Um, and so I think that moment of like that level of, you know, being uncomfortable, um, you know, taught me a lot. And that I was like, just every ounce of my inner being was repelling me from, you know, raising my hand up to knock on that first door. And and by the way, we got our first 5,000 users that way. I was just going to ask. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And, you know, learned a lot from that process about like, it's it, yes, I was uncomfortable and it was okay. I think I've learned that the anticipation is often worse than the real event. Um, mm. And I, I think that's true for me, whether it's approaching an uncomfortable conversation to have with someone I care about mm. or, um, you know, even heck this interview, like this is so much fun. I'm having a blast with you and I've known you for a long time, but like I'm nervous before I get recorded to do something. Right. And so it's just like yeah. the anticipation of things is always, always worse than the actual thing itself. And so that's something that I've learned about being uncomfortable. And by the way, the, the India startup, like the end to that story, we did not become the Facebook of India. Okay, it's not that just, was my, okay. It's, it's, it's not just because that you don't live in India that you haven't heard about this. It's because the thing flat out failed. Uh, <laughs> we, we went after it for a year. I lived in India for a year. Uh, we got some traction, um, but it was certainly not a runaway success. We got an offer to be acquired from AOL. We didn't like the offer. Uh, and we frankly ran out of options. And um, it was eventually, you know, a, a year of sweat, a lot of sweat and tears um, going into this. And, um, you know, eventually I had to make the tough decision to pull the plug. And that was really, really difficult because, um, you know, I think I pride myself partly on being resilient and finding a way and, you know, finding the next door that can open. And so, um, to just say, gosh, we tried and this didn't work and like it's game over. That was really difficult. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that you just related it back to our metaphor. The ball is put back on the shelf. The game <laughs> is over. Okay. Game, uh, game you lost over. the ball and game over. That is such an interesting story. I never knew that. And I never knew you lived in India. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. One fun fact, I could 100% relate to hitting publish on a website and then thinking that <laughs> the masses were going to come. I did the same thing. I think you might even, and you and I might have talked about this years ago. After John, my husband, John, helped build the Improve It site, and he'd never built a website before. And so I literally told him the day we hit publish, I said, I'm so sorry, we're not going to be able to go on vacation anymore. Um, the, I'm going to have to stay by my phone now. So this is basically our life is over because the phone's going to start ringing as soon as, I mean, I literally believed that. Um, and then it was crickets for six months. So I think that the naivete there was what pushed me to keep going. Uh, maybe you too from knocking on those doors. But at the same time, you have to knock on those doors. You have to have those failures in order to figure out what makes you tick. And it builds that chicken champion muscle. So I love that story. It's probably one of my favorite stories I've heard from that, that answer. So thank you. Thanks. 
Now, if you're a member of the Failed It fam, you know I love myself a good morning routine. I truly believe you cannot fill others' teacups without filling your own kettle first. And one of the ways I fill my kettle is by moving my bodice like the goddess I am every morning, Monday through Friday. Now, if you're like me, you want something fast, easy, and accessible to you when you roll yourself out of bed before the sunrise to kick your day into high gear. The fitness app, Aptive, is all that and more. It's an audio-based app with real music, not stock music, with all kinds of categories like walking, running, meditation, and strength training. Now, the trainers rock, and my personal fave is Jamie for all things fitness. And if you like this podcast, you will like her for her positivity. I also love Jade for meditation. They have all types of programs for every fitness level, and their maternity program is what kept me motivated while growing a human. They even offer a free trial to get started. So click the link in our show notes to get yours today. Now, let me ask you this, David. So, you know, Improve It is the name of our company here. Mm -hmm. The it is whatever your it is. So after learning from these failures, what is your it? Or what would you say is your life's purpose? It's kind of simple. That's great. Yeah, I, I think for me, the thing that lights me up, and which is how I think about purpose and finding purpose, and it's it's a thing that I also think one's purpose should be, you know, often gets refined, and you go through experiences, and it's okay if it changes, and it's okay if you don't know what your purpose is right now. Um, for me, uh, it's all about becoming my best and helping others. Uh, if the other is meaning either a brand or a person, uh, become their best as well along the way by mm. sharing anything I can to uh, help. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I want to lead by example in that way. And I find that I'm at my best when I'm kind of, so it's really about pursuing potential. And when I'm at my best and trying to become my best, um, and then I get a lot of joy uh, when I'm able to, um, you know, have an impact on anyone else, frankly, uh, makes me feel really good. Um, and so that was really what drove, say, the creation of um, the podcast that I host, The Big Jump. Um, it's really designed to uh, inspire people by hearing these incredible stories of reinvention of how pro athletes go from one career being pro athlete and reinventing their identity uh, to become successful outside of sports. Um, and by sharing those stories, um, you know, and, and shining a light on, again, this theme of change is coming up in our conversation, but change is really, really difficult. Um, and then change becomes even more difficult when um, you're forced to shift your identity. And, um, you know, I think a lot of change starts with an inward change. It starts with changing our identity before we can then change our life. And so, to me, that's why I do the big jump and, and, and why I put a lot into that podcast uh, is to share these super inspiring stories. And selfishly, they inspire me when I sit down mm. with these women and men uh, and hear how they went about doing that, how they went from being, you know, pro athlete, gold medal, Olympic winner to becoming, you know, doctors and real estate moguls and all these amazing things like that lights me up and it inspires me. And then I consider it 
really like a, a gift that I'm able to then deliver that to listeners and hope that it has some amount of impact on them as well. Mm, I love it. And we will definitely, if you haven't checked out The Big Jump, we will link to it in the show notes. It is an amazing podcast on iTunes. So please check that out. I have another failure-related question, David. Yes. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? I. This is kind of a lame answer, but I really like what I'm doing right now. No, it's not lame. I really enjoy, like, I've, I've chosen what I do and, and, you know, I've had years to practice it and, and get better at it. Um, but even, you know, to say that my branding and design firm Color Jar started in 2008 and so it's been going for 12 years is all true, but really it feels like I've had three or four different companies because the company has reinvented itself three or four times within those, mm. those 12 years. And so, I think I have changed what I've done to some degree, but still sticking within kind of the overall color jar umbrella. But I also am a big believer in the power of side projects. I totally reject the idea of jack of all trades, master of none. Instead, I'm a huge believer in skill stacking and in the power of doing multiple things at once and having that cross-pollination of learning new skills and then in one area and bringing it over to another area, um, keeping me fresh and also being able to, to bring really interesting lessons often from really different industries. Um, and so I'm a huge believer in people doing multiple things at once um, and having side projects and passions and uh you know, hobbies and like, you name it. I'm just, a. I think um, it gives the, it gives me the feeling of being able to live multiple lives um, of doing that. And so, you know, I'm into, uh, you know, photography and, you know, fitness and doing a podcast and having a branding firm. And um, we all are capable of wearing a lot of identities and um, seeing success in a lot of different areas of life. I love it. You're multi-passionate. And I, I love that so much. Okay. Well, here we're, we're wrapping it up here, but this is a little something that I call our fail. Yeah. Lightning round. Okay. So mm -hmm. this is a little bit of improv, a little thinking quickly on your feet, and this is not hard. So no, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I just want you to respond as fast as you can with only one word answers. Okay. Great. So, no, you can't fail, but if you say more than one word together, we will say, fail, yeah, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> are you ready for the fail, yeah, lightning round, David Gardner? Ready. Okay. One word to describe your early career. Oof. Is that a word? That's oof. a word. Yes, <laughs> oof. Okay. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Thriving. Nice. And if you want to just make noises like wolf the whole time, that's also fun too. Okay. Um, one word to describe your future self. Growing. One word to describe your favorite boss. Pathetic. Was that empathetic? Yes. I thought you said pathetic. And then I was like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, pathetic. Man. Thank no, you for no. the fiction. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> okay. One word to describe your least favorite boss. Oof. There was again. <laughs> no. There it is again. I love uh, it. I'll give you a real answer. I'll give you a real answer. I would say um, distracted. Okay. 
One word to describe your management style. Empowering. One word to describe the Big Jump podcast. Inspiring. One word to describe this interview. Delightful. Ah, you didn't fail it. You nailed it. I love it. If every answer you were like, you know, or there's some type of uh, some type of little sound everywhere. Yeah. I love that. Wolf was great. Well, the boss questions, I've only ever worked for one company. Oh. So that could have been a whole other, you know, failure avenue that we went into. Um, so I have a limited you know, history of, of bosses. Um, but I did have a few there before they, they showed me the door. So that's meant to uh, be your own. Yeah. Yeah. Meant to be your own. Well, I have enjoyed hearing more about you. These are some stories. I've known you for a really long time and I learned so much about you today. So David, first of all, thank you. But I also want to say real quick to the Failed It fam, thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you want more of, what you liked on today's episode. You can message me on the gram at Keeping It Real Deal or send me an email at info at learntoimproveit.com. David Gardner, thank you for making the big jump over to failed it today. You see what I did there? I did. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thanks for inviting me, really. Like these, you know, these conversations are always challenging because they force me to think about things in a new way and make better sense of the world and, you know, what I'm up to. Um, and I think failure is something that the world needs, you know, to hear more of. So I really appreciate what you're doing here. No, thank you. You're awesome. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your gifts, quote unquote, of failure with us. I think, um, as as I told you before, it's as vulnerable as you want to be. And I really think that the failed it, we call ourselves the failed it fam. I think the failed it fam is really going to enjoy learning from your gifts. So thank you so much. Big hugs to you, David, and to my failed it fam. Fail yeah. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but want to leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.